What's up, KDHR fam? It's your boy, Metal, back again another week. I'm so excited to be back after our spring break. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Hi, Lexi. Hi. <laughs> so, um, I hadn't told you this yet, but we have Band of the Week for this week, and it is... Is this going to play like I wanted to? There we go. Oh, yeah. Lexi told me. Yes. You did? <laughs> I did. What the hell? <laughs> because I asked for homework. Yeah. You could have just asked me. Why would I ask you? Because like this is one of my favorite bands. So Why would I ask you? <sighs> me too. Me too. One of my favorite bands too. Absolutely. Fantastic fucking band. Let's, yeah. let's, you know, let's be real about that. But yes, it's Iron Maiden. One of the few bands that has six fucking people in their band. <laughs> that feels like a weird number. Right? It does. It's, it's drums, bass, three guitars, and a vocalist. Yeah, so... It feels weird. It does. Like, four-piece, like five-piece, that makes sense. Like, I understand that it works for them. Oh, it works but, like, so it well. it feels really weird. Like, it's it's it works so well for them. Like, they, they, you know, having one person play rhythm and then two harmonized leads, <laughs> like, they get a lot of creativity with what they do. For sure. But it, it hasn't been that way for most of their career, though. You know, yeah, no, it's, this latter bit has been with Yannick Gers. I feel like it's been a little bit longer than this latter bit. You like, think so? Isn't, isn't it like close to like 20, 15, 20 years or something with, with Jen? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're about to find out. Yeah, so, we'll find out. All right. So check this out. This is really cool. I had no idea about this one. Iron Maiden formed on Christmas Day, 1975. I had no idea about that. I knew it was... Um, actually, I didn't even know it was 75. I thought it was 76. It's a That's good year. 75? Uh-huh. Why is that? That's when I was born. Oh. <laughs> you, are, you are as old as Iron Maiden. That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, my God. That's crazy. <laughs> Everything I just went through. The mental gymnastics that just happened in front of me was incredible. Oh, shit. Okay. So, um, yes, it was formed... By bassist Steve Harris, um, shortly after he left his previous group, Smiler. I forgot about Smiler entirely, yeah. but I did remember that. Yeah. Um, and he attributes the band's name to a film adaptation of The Man in the Iron Mask yep. from the novel by Alexandra Dumas. Dumas? Yeah. Dumas. Um, yeah. The title of which reminded him of the Iron Maiden torture device. Yeah, that's. That's what I always thought, but I've never actually sat down and confirmed that. But first oh, yeah. of all, that thing's fucking insane. But yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, they apparently actually had the name Ash Mountain until everybody was like, "No, Iron Maiden." <laughs> I haven't heard that ever before. Yeah. So Ash it says. Mountain. So the actual sentence says they originally had the name Ash Mountain, but most of the band members preferred the name Iron Maiden anyway. So that name was. So that was the name chosen shortly after the band formed. So it's like, it probably was the name for like all of five minutes. And then... Yeah, because it doesn't sound as cool. It doesn't. Sounds kind of lame. Yeah. Um, And then they had their debut at St. Nick's Hall in Poplar on the 1st of May, 1976. Before taking up a semi-residency at the Carton Horses Pub in Maryland, Stratford. Uh, yeah, and then a few decades later, this is a fun fact, a few decades later, the pub in Maryland was officially named the birthplace of Iron Maiden, 
and turned into a music pub with many mementos of the band's early years as part of London's rock music history. That'd be That's, fun to go to. I, if I'm ever out there, <laughs> you know, that is definitively one of the places that I will go to. Yeah. Because that's sick. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the original lineup was short-lived. It had vocalist Paul Day being the first casualty, according to Harris. He lacked energy or charisma on stage. Paul Day. Huh. Never heard of him. <laughs> huh? Never heard of him. That's oh, really? That's probably why he lacked the energy. You're not talking about Paul Diano, right? No, no, not Paul Diano. Yeah, Paul Day. Because we're listening to Paul Diano, yeah. but Paul Day is someone else. Yeah. Um... So then he was replaced by Dennis Wilcock, who was a KISS fan. <laughs> um, and then Wilcock's friend Dave Murray was invited to join, much to the dismay of the band's guitarist Dave Sullivan and Terry Rance. Their frustration led to Harris to, uh, led Harris sorry, to temporarily disband Iron Maiden in 1976, though the group reformed soon after with Murray as the sole guitarist. Harris and Murray remained the band's longest standing members and have performed on all of their releases. Absolutely. Makes yep. sense to me. Yeah. Uh, so then the following year in 77, Bob Sawyer was recruited um, as another guitarist, but he was sacked for embarrassing the band on stage by pretending to play guitar with his teeth. <laughs> A little Hendrix inspiration oh there my. gone wrong. <laughs> Tension ensued again, causing a rift between Murray and Wilcock, who convinced Harry Harris to fire Murray, as well as original drummer Ron Matthews. And a new lineup was put together, including future cutting crew member Tony Moore on keyboards of all damn things, <laughs> Terry Wapram on guitar, and drummer Barry Perkis, wow, better known as Thunderstick. They still haven't gotten to the first. Nope. After a single gig with the band in seventy in January of seventy eight, Moore was asked to leave as Harris decided the keyboards did not suit the band's sound. Facts. <laughs> Dave Murray rejoined in late March of seventy eight, which Terry was disapproved of, so he was sacked. Uh, and then a few weeks later, Dennis Wilcock decided to leave Iron Maiden to form his own band, V One, with Terry and drummer Barry Perkis left as well. Doug Sampson was at Dennis. Uh, and Thunderstick's last gig, and so joined the band afterwards. Harris, Murray, and Samson spent the summer and autumn of 78 rehearsing while they searched for a singer to complete the band's new lineup. A chance meeting at the Red Line Pub in Le Leightonstone in November of 78 evolved into the successful audition for the current vocalist that we are listening to, Paul Diana. Steve Harris stated, there's a sort of a quality in Paul's voice, a raspiness in his voice, or whatever you want to call it, that just gave it this edge, end quote. Uh, at this time, Murray would typically act as the sole guitarist while Harris, with Harris commenting, Davey was so good he could do a lot of it on his own. The plan was always to get a second guitarist in, but finding one that could match Dave, Davey, sorry, was really difficult. Ooh, sorry. Um, their first two albums have a very different sound than the rest of their catalog. Yeah, yeah. like every time I listen to this, there we go. I was like waiting for it. I was like, is it this long before he hits it? This album that is like one of the first ones, if not the first one, I can't remember right now. What album? What, this is, oh yeah, this is Iron Maiden. This is their first album, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, 
and the sound on here is just so vastly different compared to Number of the Beast, Seventh Son. Oh yeah. Um, and Absolutely. then more recently, um, what is it, Book of Souls? Yeah. And then their newest album, Senjutsu. Uh, it's so crazy, like to see what what they've done. It's, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the next couple of years. Uh, New Year's Eve '78, they recorded a demo with had that had four songs on it. The Soundhouse tapes. Uh, uh, let's see. The brand presented a copy to Neil K, then managing a heavy metal club called Bandwagon Heavy Metal Soundhouse. So yeah, it was the Soundhouse tapes. That's famous. Really famous. Uh, yeah. Uh, Northwest London That's where it was Okay cool Upon hearing the tape Kay began playing the demo Regularly at the bandwagon And one of the songs Prowler Eventually made uh, Went to number one In the Soundhouse charts Which were published Weekly in Sounds Magazine Oh that's cool <laughs> A copy was also acquired By Rod Smallwood Who soon Smallwood sorry Who soon became The band's manager And as Iron Maiden's Popularity increased They released the demo On their own record label As the Soundhouse Tapes Named after the club. Yep. Featuring only three tracks, one song, Strange World, was excluded as the band were unsatisfied. Is that grammatically correct? Probably not. Probably it's not. It's Wikipedia. One song, Strange World, was excluded as the band was unsatisfied with its production. And then all 5,000 copies sold within weeks. That's sick. Uh, it's December very, of se- huh? Very hard to get. It's a big collector's item. The Soundhouse tape. Yeah, of course it is, dude. <laughs> like, there's only five thousand copies of it. No, this. I could never hope to own that. But if I do, <laughs> if I do, dude, I fucking okay. When I was when I was like getting into Iron Maiden and metal and all that, yeah. I remember very distinctly. This is about ten. No, more than ten years ago. This is about fifteen years ago. I remember very distinctly my grandma talking to me one day and she goes, hey, uh, this is all in Spanish, but I'm translating. She goes, hey, um, I have these uh, cassettes, you know, cassette tapes Um, for those listening. Those are old school ways of listening to music. People are selling cassettes (laughs) again. Have you seen it? Wait, they are? Yeah. Yeah. In the metal world, everybody's. Let's go. Everybody's new album is coming out on cassette. A lot of like current, like mainstream artists are also releasing things on cassette. Bet. Let's go. I'm gonna start looking through the collection, see what I have. Yeah. Um. But but so my, my grandma was like, "Hey, I have these two. They're in English. I don't know what they are. Can you help me?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And I looked at them, and uh, one of them I can't remember what it was for the life of me. It was just some random thing. Uh-huh. But the other one was the entire Power Slave album. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" Wow. Yeah, I had Why that. Why did she whole, have that? I. It was in a collection that somebody gave to her. Uh-huh. I, I think. Uh, I never got the details, um, and I should have. And that's that's a small regret of mine is not finding out where she got all that from. But but and, and, and had a whole box of cassettes, and they were mostly in Spanish except these two. And your assignment was to listen to. I don't remember the name, but I have it pulled up on Spotify. <laughs> Power Slave. Power Slave. <laughs> I, I I figured that. You should have figured that. <laughs> we're talking about Power Slave, and he's saying. I am not over here paying attention yeah, to your well. tangent right now. <laughs> you know, I should that's always cool. pay that's, attention that's to my tangent. So that was the first Maiden you heard. That was the Slave. first full album. Yeah. Was was yes, made, um, Power Slave. Mine, I, mine was somewhere in time. Nice, nice. And I fell in love with Loneliness of a Long Distance Runner. That was like my my the first song that sunk in, and I and I started to like them and gotcha. gave in and 
I listened to the album over and over and over again. For some reason, I just didn't like it when I first heard it. Mm-hmm. And so then I finally fell in love with that song, and then I went nuts. And gotcha. Then, I mean, you say 10 years ago. It was like 40 years ago. It's crazy. Long time ago. I used to I used to go to the store in Con Valley called the Record PX. Every birthday, my mom was like, what do you want? Iron Maiden, <laughs> Iron Maiden. singles. That's what I wanted. Like uh, the CD cool. singles they put out with all the artwork. It's crazy artwork. From gotcha. That's cool. So. That's super cool. Yeah, freaking... Yeah, Number of the Beast was the first song that I heard, but the first full album I heard was Power Slave. Nice. And then I went back and listened to the album yeah. Number of the Beast. Yeah, right. Um, fucking great. But yeah. Okay, so uh, in December of 79, the band got a major record deal with EMI Records and then asked Dave Murray's childhood friend, Adrian Smith, to join as the second guitarist. Um, and then due to commitment with his band Urchin, he declined. Uh, and Dennis Stratton was hired instead. Shortly afterwards, Doug Sampson left due to health issues and was replaced by ex-Sampson dry- drummer, sorry, Clive Burr. Yeah. Um, at Stratton's suggestion. Line. That's the lineup. That's the lineup. That's the first lineup. Yeah. The first real lineup. Okay. Yeah, Iron Maiden's first appearance on an album was on the Metal for Mothers compilation, released uh, February of 1980, with two early versions of Sanctuary and Wrathchild. On the album, such great songs. We're listening to Rat Child right now. And hell yeah, <laughs> uh, they released their self-titled album in 1980, so about five years after they started. Um, and it debuted at number four in the UK album charts. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. This rise is always so insane to me. Like, yeah. it just starts so low and just, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so then the album has early other early favorites like Running Free, Transylvania, Fan of the Opera, and Sanctuary, which was not on the original UK release, um, but appeared on the US version and subsequent remasters. That's cool. I didn't know that. It's terrible. It's so terrible. I, <laughs> being an Iron Man collector my whole life, like the... <laughs> No, I was trying to be this positive ver- about it. <laughs> this, 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 one, this one album has, you know, one song more and in this country and not in this other country. So searching for all that stuff was brutal. <laughs> Sounds like it. Um, yeah, so then they appeared at Reading Festival in 1980 with almost 40,000 people in attendance. Reading. Reading? Yeah, yeah get it right. It's R-E-A-D-I-N-G, okay? Yeah. Read and red are literally spelled the same. <laughs> so I'm sorry that I didn't know it was supposed to be reading instead of reading. Got it. Why would it be reading? Why would it be reading? Why does reading not sound like a real place? <laughs> I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just like letting the album play. Nice. I need to skip to in the next album after a song or two though. Anyway, um, so an up- an ep- what? Did, how do you say this? Epino- eponymous. Eponymous. Thank you. An eponymous debut album um, achieved critical acclaim in Japan, where Iron Maiden were na- was named the the best newcoming foreign band foreign band by Reader's Music Live magazine, and received their very first gold certificate. Uh, four decades later, Iron Maiden Iron Ma- I can't speak today. Nope. Uh, Iron Maiden's debut album was ranked number thirteen of the greatest hard rock and metal albums ever, published by journalist of opinion forming. Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, what? I just Rolling Stone in their lists. 
giving it that much weight and that much presence. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like Loudwire. Yeah. <laughs> or I should say Loudwire is like Rolling Stone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Who's, who's making these decisions? I don't know. We should be talking to people like us. <laughs> so then uh, in 81, they released the second album, Killers. Fucking amazing album. Yeah. Um, wait, isn't this off Killers? No, this is number three. I'm fucking stupid. Yeah. Do I not have anything off Killers? Oh, Come on, shit. Mur in the Room Org? No. Dude, I don't have any of that. Oh, no, I do. Just Wrathchild. <laughs> Wrathchild is the only song off Killers that I have. What the hell? I thought I had more. Okay. Things to adjust. Um, but yeah. Uh, they had many tracks written prior to the debut release. Only two songs, only two new songs were written for the record. Prodigal Son and Murders in the Room Org. Um, which was the, the latter was a title taken from a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. That's why I recognized it. Yeah. Oh my god, I used to have to read Edgar Allan Poe. That might have been what got me into metal. No, I'm kidding. Uh. I feel like everybody <laughs> had to read him. Yeah, no, everybody did. I don't know anybody that didn't have to read Edgar Allan Poe. I've played a, a piece with an orchestra based off of one of his poems. Alright. It was actually really pretty cool. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then... The band's second album featured, among other singles, Twilight Zone slash Wrathchild, which was released with the double A-side, and speed metal opus Purgatory, as well as two instrumentals, The Idols, sorry, The Ides of March and Genghis Khan, and the title track being a proto-thrash composition. What? Proto-thrash. I guess? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess? I feel like, eh, yeah, I mean, I see it. Genghis Khan is, I guess, for lack of better words, out there comparatively speaking to the stuff they had at that point. Yeah. I just don't know if I would necessarily say proto thrash. Yeah. I think it's a bold leap, a bold Wikipedian leap. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can see elements of it, sure, but, right. but I, it's not. Yeah. It's just not. Is this the episode where we just trash the Wikipedia page for it? Probably. Cool. <laughs> Ooh, I have to children get you to better the sources. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Great, great song. I love this. I mean, yeah, I, I, I need to look into shit a little more. Some of these bands have websites which would have better histories, in my opinion. Right. But Wiki's easy, and everybody can look at it. Right. You know? Right. If I say IronMaiden.com, people would, uh, you know? If I say Wiki, oh, shit, I'm there. Yeah. So I, that's the only reason. That's really the only reason I go through this like that. People need to be able to look this shit up too, I guess. Anyway. Um, so yeah. Uh, what happened next was a UK tour. Uh, they headlined a performance at Hammersmith. Uh, Hammersmith Odeon. Thank you. And then Paul Diano's addiction problems led to the cancellation of several German dates. Can you imagine if they kept going with him? What would Number of the Beast sounded like with Diano, man? I don't know, but I want to. Yeah, I know. He's tried. He's tried to make records, and he was trying to tour recently. I think he's, I think he's sick. I don't know. I can't remember what happened. Oh, but man. That's how I, I know he's been trying to rekindle things. I mean, it'd be something. He's got a, such a different voice. I bet. It's been 40 years. More? Almost 50. Um, yeah, don't rub it in. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why are you calling Dave old? I didn't even mean to. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all good. Um, yeah, so she got pretty hectic because fans were rioting after that. And then Maiden decided to tour Japan for the first time in seven shows. And the tickets sold out in record time, but Diano forced the band to cancel two of the shows. Uh, the concert recordings from Nagoya uh, were used on the mini album Made in Japan, Heavy Metal Army in Japan, that came out in September of 81. Um, the, what the fuck? Musicians visited Yugoslavia to be a headliner of the Belgrade Festival with 50,000 people in attendance. That's insane. That's Those are such big numbers. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I've played in front of a couple hundred people before, right. but... Right. Couple of thousand and then tens of thousands? Fuck, man. Oh, it's just a sea. It's a sea <laughs> yeah. of people. Alright, so then we get to the next section that is literally called success, and I already hate it because of that. <laughs> <laughs> the 90, the 81 to 85 years. So by 81, Paul Diano was demonstrating increasingly self destructive behavior, particularly due to his drug usage, about which he comments, quote, it wasn't just that I was snorting a bit of coke, though. I was just going for it nonstop, 24 hours a day, every day. The band had commitments piling up that went on for months, years, and I just couldn't see my way to the end of it. I knew I'd never last the whole tour. It was too much, end quote. Um, and so with his performances waning, uh, Diana was immediately dismissed following the Killer World Tour. Um, and so then they, the band had already selected his replacement at that point after meeting uh, after a meeting sorry with rod uh smallwood at the reading festival <laughs> bruce dickinson previously of samson auditioned for iron maiden in september of 1981 and was immediately hired and that's the voice we're listening to right now um bruce dickinson is iron maiden i don't want to hear otherwise okay <laughs> 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 uh, I'm, I'm gonna get so much flack for saying that. Why do you say that? Huh? Yeah, I guess people. Because people pe love Paul. People love. Yeah, they, um, do. they do. They do I'm not love him. Are you kidding me? There's people that love Blaze Bailey. No. Who? Blaze Bailey, the guy who was on Virtual Nine. Oh, you know, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. <laughs> people do not love. No, Blaze they don't. Bailey. No, they don't. <laughs> <I'm saying, laughs> um. But that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say people love what, what they know. Oh, what they know. Right. Yeah, and like a lot of people know Iron Maiden to be with Paul for, like, that's who it started with. I haven't, I haven't it, met many people that say that. I've met a few. It's not like, it is yeah. very far and few between, but yeah. they do exist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but that's why I'm joking saying, like, I'm going to get flack for that because, yeah. I mean, I'm probably not, but, like, yeah. somebody out there is going to. They were be like, better on the first two records. Yeah, yeah. It, it's always something. Yeah. Um, fucking. Success. Oh yeah, the pri the prisoners playing right now. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So they, so then um, the following month, Dickinson went out on the road with the band on a small headlining tour in Italy, and was and as well as a one-off show at the Rainbow Theater in the UK. Uh, for the last show and in anticipation of their forthcoming album, the band played Children of the Damned and 22 Acacia Avenue, uh, introducing fans to the sound towards which they were progressing. I love both of those songs so much. Oh yeah. 22 Acacia Avenue is so good. I, I ended up learning how to play that one just by listening to it. 
I mean, I did that with all of Iron Maiden songs, and that's not to knock them down, but right. it's the same three chords in different keys. Let's be real. <laughs> it's fucking great. It works for Johnny Cash. It can work for them. <laughs> that's not inaccurate. <laughs> anyway, in 82, they released their third studio album, Number of the Beast, which became the band's first UK album's chart number one record. That is a weird way to structure that. Um was a top 10 hit in many other countries and reached number 33 on the Billboard 200. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, at the time, Dickinson was in the midst of legal difficulties with Samson's management and was not permitted to add his name to any of the songwriting credits, although he still made what he described as a moral contribution to Children of the Damned, The Prisoner, and Run to the Hills. Oh my God, Run to the Hills. Oh my God, when Vuk sang Run to the Hills. When Professor oh my Vuk, God, yeah. Professor Vuk likes metal. It's insane. And, and she, and she, oh my God, she's like, yeah, I like all that stuff. And it's it's like, really good. And then she starts belting out, runs to the hills. And I'm just like, that's insane. <laughs> it's like every other class she mentions Pantera. Yeah. She, like, I'm like, I did not know that nice. she liked metal. And I it's like, I was like, all right. A lot of respect for that. Just, just for being a metalhead. Yeah. And, like, and like, it was just like out of nowhere too. It like, was. She just like went for it and I was like, okay. Run to I was like, what? What? This is crazy. It's kinda of crazy. Uh, um, very unexpected from a classical singer like that. But I mean it it yeah. That's happened. Maiden. She's seen Slayer with many times. She's seen Slayer because you took her to Slayer. She wanted to go, dude. Seven times is not just because she want you know, she's supporting me. You've seen him a lot. Seven times is not just support. <laughs> I, I, okay. I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Big, big time. Metal okay fan. then. Yeah. Yeah. She loved my dying bride too. Gotcha. Clutch. Clutch oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Country metal. It's it it's all about the lyrics. It's not that bad. I I believe you, but like it just feels weird. I I know, but it's really not that. Bad. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Um, they played a bunch of shows. Yada yada yada. They had a U.S. leg um, of the tour. Wait, it says the Beast on the Road's U.S. leg provide proved, not provided, proved controversial when an American conservative political lobbying group claimed the Iron Maiden were satanic because of the album's title track and demonic cover art. You know, not like if you look at that cover art, it's. What is it? It's uh, it's the devil, manic. Uh, what is the, what is the word? Um, I didn't want to say puppeteering, but yeah, puppeteering, um, Eddie, the the mascot. But then if you pay closer attention, it's Eddie puppeteering the devil puppeteering Eddie, which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And uh, when I figured that out, I was like, hey, because <laughs> yeah, they're saying fuck this guy. <laughs> Without actually saying it, but yeah, um, yeah. So they got shit for that, and like, I mean, I can understand why, but like, it's, it's also just, it's music. Shut up. Um, but it says that the the backlash was so fucking crazy that a group of Christian activists destroyed Iron Maiden's records in protest. Yeah. And that's hilarious to me because okay, you still paid for this, so right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who cares? Money, yeah, right. <laughs> um, that's a good point. 
Yeah. And then this is also what I was like alluding to. In recent years, Dickinson stated that the band treated this as silliness and that the demonstrations, in fact, gave them loads of publicity. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. They yeah, did the complete opposite of what they wanted. It got them free publicity and money. Like, I don't really think you can complain about and that. And it really is free money. Yeah. That's the crazy part. Uh, they played 100 dates in North America supporting the Scorpions. Oh, sorry, Scorpions. Uh, Judas Priest and Rainbow. I was like, who the fuck is Rainbow for a second? I forgot that was Dio's band. Yep. I completely forgot about that. Um, and then they headlined some Canadian dates, New York, Chicago, um, and the other soloed stops. Uh, they also performed at the biggest American festivals, Day on the Green, Superfest, Pacific Jam, Rockfest, uh, which were held on big stadiums such as Rich Stadium, Anaheim Stadium, Oakland, Alameda Coliseum, and Kam- Kamiski? Kamiski Park. Yep. I think it's Kamiski? Yeah, it is. Okay. That's a weird fucking name. Um... The Giants or the Oakland A's, one of the big sports teams played there for a while. I know. Um, but yeah, uh, they were quickly promoted to the Hard Rock Extra League and Avant Garde of Heavy Metal. Fucking what? <laughs> yeah. Avant Garde, maybe. Maybe. But. For the time, Avant Garde, is that what you're saying? I don't know. For the time. Like right now, by today's time? No, not a chance. Yeah. Not a chance. For the time, I can kind of see it. I mean, it's 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 very showmany for this album. Like this is when it really started. Because Bruce, I I, I I saw an interview somewhere, or maybe it was just like a because Iron Maiden has a YouTube channel that they rarely ever fucking use besides for music. Right. But they do have some of the history of Iron Maiden on that on that um, channel, and I think in there there's a section where Bruce says that. He shows up, and Steve is in the middle of the stage, you know, and he's the bassist. And, like, I'm the singer. I'm supposed to be in the center, right? And so I'm like, no, the, you need to be over there while I'm here. Egos, egos, and, like, <laughs> and whether it's egos or not, though, like, ultimately, yeah, if I see the singer off to the side... And the bassist is in the middle. That's weird. And I'm specifically talking when there's two different people. Because, I mean, Getty Lee, Tom Araya, uh, fucking... Uh, shit, I can't remember who else right now. But there's been plenty of bassists that are the lead singers. Yeah, that's right? cool. Th- thank you. That's his fucking name. <laughs> oh, that's who you're good at. Yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of. Like, my brain went cowboy fucker. And it's, that's not even accurate, yeah, but, but, like... Okay, so... True, but how, how many bassists are showmen like Steve Harris? I mean, I mean that's you, true. You watch Live After Death, and and you're seeing Steve, he wrote all the songs, right? Like, well, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I mean, not. This, this is his baby. It's not Dickinson's baby as much as it is his. No, you're 100 percent right on that, and I'm not saying that, that that that's wrong or anything. But even me, like take my band for example, like yeah. that's my baby. That is my creation. I write all the songs right. with my drummer, right? right? And I only stood center stage that day because I was singing. Right. But otherwise, I would have been off to the right side. Right. Specifically the right. Don't ask me why. I have no idea why I prefer that side. But, you know, like, it, I'm not going to be in front even though this is my shit. Like, that doesn't make fucking aesthetic sense to me. And the, the, he's a fantastic showman. Like, he's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I just, I don't <laughs> see why he needs to be in the middle. He's, 
Well, he's it's everywhere all, now. I think yeah, well, yeah, they are all fucking running around like crazy. Right, but, right. but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but that happened, so that was that was crazy. But yeah, you oh. you know about Dickinson's book and his tours and stuff that he's been doing, right? Like he just was in L.A. for the for the book tour where he takes questions and stuff and he talks. He does that happened book. already. Yeah, it happened already. Fuck! I thought I had more time for that. Yeah. Damn! I missed it. I wanted to do that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it would have been really. Yeah. I, I need to buy his book. I keep forgetting. Do I need to remind you? Yes. Okay. Why was that even a question? No, what is it? Press here sure. or something? Like huh? Pressing a button. I, can't I think it's press here. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um. Back to. Back to this shit. <laughs> the history. Um, let's see, where, where, where was I? Uh, oh, that part, uh, the whole avant garde thing. I hope they don't try to list stadiums for all their tours. We're going to be here all day. Uh, dead ass. <laughs> um, so, then the number of the pieces considered as the groundbreaking album for modern heavy metal and has been back on the album sale charts and the all time heavy metal album polls. Con- uh, yeah, constantly. I was about to say consistently. What do you think about that true. comment? I that. Mean, I mean,. Was Iron Maiden's breakthrough the first two records that changed heavy metal, or was it Number of the Beast? They're both. I mean, they both have profound impacts. I think. I think um, and this is very much for a lack of better words, yeah. but I think the first two albums were a little. I just, I really don't want to say safe. I don't, but that's the only thing I can think of right now to say. I mean, think about what's out at that time. What yeah. Is, what is music like at that time? And and this is like, it's like a, a variation on punk where they're telling stories like Phantom of the Opera. I think or is. Yeah. Uh, you know Phantom of the Opera. Oh my God. You know, like I, I and that's why I don't want to use safe because like yeah, it's I'm not the appropriate up. word, but it's like, again for lack of better words, it's tamer than most of the shit they did after. You think so? I, I think I, so, but it's not because they. It's it's not for anything other than they were figuring out their sound and understanding what they wanted to do, and then the whole Paul Diano thing, like all of that. I think it's a combination of all these things that happened that didn't let them like really blossom out their sound like they wanted to until Bruce came in. And that's not to say that they weren't trying; they were. You know, they pushed they pushed the limits. I just feel like they pushed them even harder with Bruce. I, th- I think the first two records are much more raw. I think it's pu- it's like raw, yeah. it's a punk element that's yeah. in those first two records. And, but you, and you listen to like the song structures and the way that the, the the guitar is and everything else. I think it's much more of a of a punk feel. So yeah. And then the funny thing is, is they get so polished. Them and Judas Priest are like the main reason that punk happens because everything's so you know produced. Yeah. And they want to rebel against the production. So. Yeah, I don't know. Safe is a kind of a funny word. It's but, a fu- yeah, yeah. It's not the word I want to be using, but yeah. it's it's the only thing that's coming to my mind right now. Yeah. And and yeah, you're saying it too. Like, there's a lot of punk elements in in that stuff, and that's the foundation of what happened to bring punk to the table. Right. Which is another reason why I think that you know, Number of the Beast really is what drove them more towards the metal side of of music. Yeah. Um. Because, I mean, even listening to just this, 22 Acacia Abbey, it's fast and it's aggressive. And it's not to say that Fan of the Opera isn't. I can't even do it right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But it's just, it hits different. It's a different type of sound. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I think that's, I think, I think, you know, Bruce having his very iconic vocals helped with 
making that happen. Oh my god, Number of the Beast starts with the stupid quiet. Oh my god. You know who they tried to get for this? Who? Vincent Price. Do you know who Vincent Price is? I. You've mentioned the name before, but I can't. He's a really, really famous voice, and they wouldn't do it for. He wouldn't do it. Because, well, he wanted to charge them a ton of money to save just that line. And so they got a guy that just sounded like him. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious if you know. It is. Um, kind of sad. But this is a great song. I, I don't know, though. I, I think both, it's almost like they're two different bands. And the inspiration that they had is, is different. Yeah. You know, like the whole uh, the, the spawning of, of clean, like, aggressive music comes from the Dickinson era. But the combination of punk with Judas Priest, that spawns Slayer. I mean, you know, how else? Yeah. It's a perfect, perfect segue into that kind of style. So, yeah. proto thrash, right? We <laughs> were reading about earlier. <laughs> I mean, you can kind of you can kind of see that that. That's why I said like yeah. I can kind of see elements of it, but I yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't call it that. Right. It's it's exactly why is because it did spark a lot of what what ended up being thrash. Yeah. But it also wasn't close enough to thrash. Right. For me to call it proto thrash. Right. I feel anyway. Right. You know, other people have other opinions, but. Um, it's too bad we can't show Lexi like all the album covers and the spandex that they wore. <laughs> and, like, I mean, there's I so many the spandex. there's so many layers to Iron Maiden that oh, you just you, you don't you don't get with just listening to the music. Yeah, it's yeah. There's something oh really unsettling about seeing grown men wearing spandex. You know, you think that you would, yeah. I do. but it just works. Uh, like, nope. I can't explain it. Like, you got to understand, I am on your side with the vast majority of that statement. But with these guys, it just, it made <laughs> sense for some reason. And I could not explain to you why. Because, like, looking at it, I'm like, this looks so stupid. Why does this look like Iron Maiden? It's ridiculous and goofy, but it, it works for them. I'm telling you, like, it makes zero sense. I cannot just say this. You have to look at it and understand it. And I will show you. I will. Live but like, death, man. You guys should just, have a, <laughs> just sit down and watch Live After Death. Yeah, because... Am I just going to be, like, uncomfortable the whole time? For the first five minutes. Yeah. And, and then you'll get over it. Because they're such wonderful performers. Yeah. I mean, they're absolutely worth the money. Made live. It's insanely cool. And five minutes is being generous. Yeah, right. Really? <laughs> You'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> what? No, I just got a notification about it, uh, our plans for Saturday. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, okay, so... <laughs> we. <laughs> <laughs> I love how easily we get distracted. With Sorry. Shit. No, it's just, it's a good conversation. Like, this is the point of this show is right. it's talking about this shit. Not, right. I don't want it to just be, this is the history of, like, I want right. us to have these discussions. It's just fucking right. hilarious. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so then we move on to December of 82. Drummer Clive Burr was fired from the band and replaced by Nico McBrain. Oh, Nico. Oh, I love Amazing. Nico. He is. God, he's the best drummer that Iron Maiden has ever had, hands down. He's one, of, he's one of the best drummers in rock music, I would say. Well, yeah, hands down as well. Um, yeah, although Harris stated that his dismissal took place because of uh, because his live performances were affected by offstage activities, Burge objected to this and claimed that he was unfairly ousted from the band. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I mean, this is, again, thinking about the time period... 
it's so funny to me today because everything, everybody's dirty laundry is all over the internet. <laughs> yeah. at, at this time, nobody, nobody had social media. There was no way to know really what was going on behind the scenes. I mean, even what happened with Paul Diano and Dickinson was pretty unknown. Oh, I you, forgot about that. You know, like it, it, it's just a different time period. The yeah. thing I can tell you is that Clive Burr got sick and the whole band came to his side and they raised a ton of money for him. And they care about him, and so whatever happened way back then is, you know, not a problem anymore. They love him now. Yeah, and know? that's the that's the big thing is that if it's under if it's water under the bridge for the band, yeah, nobody else should care. Right, right. Because like that's their business, and if they've buried the hatchet, like right, they buried the hatchet. Yeah. Stop trying to get people to fight. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So soon afterwards, Ben journeyed for the first time to the Bahamas to record the first of three consecutive albums at Compass Point Studios. <laughs> what was that? I mean, can you imagine that life? I want to go to the Bahamas to record my next CD. What? Like, <laughs> when do you get to this point in your life where that's just like, Yeah, okay, that's just like, <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to like be here for a couple weeks. Like, don't worry. Everything's going to be all good. I'll come back with a tan. Like. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, just, and think about the records that they're recording there, right? Like, yeah. It's, that, um, it doesn't make any sense at all, but. Yeah, you know, peace of mind being the first features the successful singles. It's an understatement. Yeah, the Trooper and Flight of Icarus. Yeah, they do. They do. They do those almost every concert. Just staples with the band. Yeah, it's yeah. it's weird to not hear the Trooper. Yeah, he comes out and he waves. A big flag. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. and I'd seen it in videos plenty of times, and it looks so cool. But seeing it live, yeah. man. He's such a nut. That's crazy. Yeah. He is. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um, so yeah, they released they released the album in 83. And then the next album up was um, fucking, what is it? Power Slave. Power Slave. I'm stupid. <laughs> I was looking for the year. I was looking for uh, the year and like, uh, and then my brain farted on the, uh, on the name. Uh, eighty four. So, did you did you listen? Did you get a chance? I did. I listened to the whole thing. Yesterday. Oh my! Oh my God! Holy was, shit! Yeah. All right, thoughts. Yeah. Again, it was just kind of like background while Stop. I was like, What? I have a life outside of this podcast. I'm I aware. Do other things. I'm aware, but like, ah, uh, you need to sit with these proper. Like it's. I understand you're listening, and 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 that's great. But there's it's another experience to experience these albums. What, so what were your other thoughts? Did you, did you notice anything in particular? Like, very different than Anthrax, right? Yeah. <laughs> very different. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't really mind listening to it. Like, it's something that I would definitely listen to again. Yeah. Um, it's not going on any of my playlists anytime soon. <laughs> but, like, it's like, I was like, okay, like, I can, like, sit here and listen to it and I'll be fine with it. It's not going to bug me or anything. Were you impressed with his vocal range at all? I was, because I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ace is high. Yeah, right. <laughs> I tried to point out Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner to her. I did. I did listen Hello, to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Seems I forget Epic, the lyrics, but... 13-minute song. Like, it's crazy. And it's, there's it's a whole entire bass solo in there. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. God. Just epic, like, to put that all together. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, how... Who did songs this long? Like, 
in this Honestly, format. Honestly, nobody at that at this point, nobody that I know of. Like you see an Iron Maiden record, you're like, there's only eight songs on it. What's going on? And <laughs> it's an hour and a fucking half. Right. <laughs> I don't actually know how long the album is. I'm just saying because you know the songs general. are pretty long. Yeah, they are. Oh, the whole album is just under 51 minutes. Is it really? Yeah, it, it was feels like longer. it was like 50 something. It feels longer than that. Cause because like I saw that there was only a few songs and I was like, okay, well this one's 13 minutes because you had mentioned that. And I was like, okay, that's probably where a good chunk of all of this is coming from. Yeah, it is. It's literally a fifth <laughs> more more if, if you're telling me it's 50 minutes. Yeah, I'm checking um, right now. But like two minutes a minute is six minutes long. Ace is high is six minutes long, I think. Uh, Great for radio when they want everything to be three minutes. Uh, that's yeah. why Iron Maiden's been a huge hit on the radio. Uh-huh. <laughs> that whole... Three minute bullshit. Like, yeah. I hate that. It's 50 minutes and 57 seconds. Nice. Literally three seconds. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. The band's third official video entitled Behind the Iron Curtain was released in October of 1984. The World Slavery Tour documentary brought footage of the band touring the Eastern Europe. Yes. Touring the Eastern Europe. Yeah. Nice. Uh huh. In 1984 performing shows in visited countries and additionally portrayed the musicians as playing the Polish wedding uh, as playing at the Polish wedding sorry in Poznan huh what are they talking about I have no fucking clue I just read the sentence dude sure yeah we need to go in there and edit it I guess Uh, probably (laughs) Iron Maiden also made their debut appearance in South America where they co-headlined with Queen the Rock in Rio Festival to an estimated 350 to 500,000 in attendance. That's insane. That Do you think there's a difference numbers. for them between 50,000 and 500,000? Do you think there's a difference? In what regard are you asking? Because there's two ways to answer this, and I know you know this. Yeah. I mean, it, what does it feel different on stage? I think no, because numbers aside the people that are showing up and are right in front of you are your biggest fans right um right i should say biggest fans with money right yeah um, yep, there you go and, and willingness to be in the pit right because being in the pit at an iron maiden show can get insane yeah i should know yeah <laughs> i still want to do it again <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. the people right in front of you are some of your biggest fans and they're gonna love you Right. Whether that's five people or fifty people, fifty thousand people, right? Their individual energy is going to be as high as it possibly can be. Yeah. And the band is going to feel that and reflect that. Yeah. So I don't think there's a difference between fifty thousand and five hundred thousand. Yeah. Unless you're gonna talk about the more, and by more I mean less cared about uh, aspect, which would be financially. If five people show up, right. I'm only making so much money. But then that becomes, are you a band for the money or are you a band for the fucking music? And I, I Iron Maiden is a band for the music. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think it matters. Like, they're going to get paid the same. They get paid before the festival happens. So, you know. Well, I mean, festival specific, yeah. yeah right. I mean, yeah, talking yeah. about a show like if it was like at the Wiltern versus right. versus right. SoFi, you know. Right, right. yeah, yeah. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, Iron Maiden is a band for the music and they're not going to care who's in front of them. They're gonna care about giving the best show they can. I think. I think once you hit a certain level, though, it's just the sea of people. Oh yeah, without a doubt. How, how big it is, like 
you get over a thousand people, I would think it's not really that much different. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. But they, I mean, and it is huge. It they're is interesting huge. that you say that though, because like I did mention, like this whole three hundred fifty thousand to five hundred thousand, right? But when they were in Poland, the average attendance was estimated to be about twelve thousand people, yeah. plus a few thousand outside. Yeah. Right, and so it, it is the same thing. Twelve thousand versus five hundred thousand. Right. It's a massive difference. Yeah. And I bet you anything that show was those two shows were played in in very similar energetic fashions. I, I would say so for them as well. But yeah. I mean Um and then we have the live after death. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Scream for me Long Beach. <laughs> that shit's great. I need to like really sit down with it again and oh, like I've watched just it so enjoy it. I love so live albums now. I used to hate them. I used to be like, why the fuck do I care? And uh, then I started going to shows and I'm like, this is why I care. Oh my wife hates live albums. I love them. Oh. Yeah, they're great. Iron Maiden is kind of awful though, because well, I shouldn't say it that way. They, <laughs> yeah, I was they, like, uh they they have a particular penchant to every time they do an album these days, they do a live live album. Oh that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, it's it's which you know, in this stage of Iron Maiden it was a special thing to have live after death it was like yeah. you have all these records and then you you know, the live album was like a special yeah. treat. Now it's like routine. Now it's like, oh, the new album's out. When is the live album? Like, I'm right. at this point, I'm waiting for the Senjutsu one. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, absolutely. When is the question? Yeah. They already did the Legacy of the Beast one, so and that's the tour that they're on, so we'll see. Aren't, didn't they say they were going to come out and play Senjutsu in its entirety or something, though, next? I think so. So that'll be the live album. Probably. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next section, we get the next uh, couple of albums. Somewhere in Time, and Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Oh. <laughs> Great fucking albums. Yep. Uh, so, returning from the time off, the band adopted a different style for their 86 studio album, Somewhere in Time. For the first time in the band's history, this featured synthesized bass and guitars to add textures and layers to the sound. Thoughts? <laughs> How do you feel about Somewhere in Time versus oh! Peace of Mind and, and okay. Power Slave So for the Beast? So, a thing to a thing to note that I don't think I've said on the podcast, but a lot of people know. And Lexi, you might not know this. I might not have mentioned this before. Um, I have been. I I remember when I was younger, um, being asked how I felt about pop and hip hop music versus rock and metal and stuff like that. Yeah. And back then, I said, I don't think that pop and hip hop are music because. Nobody's playing an instrument. Oh, oh, hip hop. You hip-hop. said pop. I'm like, wait, rap? Do you mean rap and hip hop? No, I mean, I mean, I or yeah, I did mean rap and hip hop. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm on the same sorry. page now. Um, I said oh, nobody's playing an instrument in that shit, right? Right, right. And that was before I really understood anything about being a musician, right? Right. Um, but to this day, I carry over that the best type of music is physically played and organically played right um and so my views have changed and i do consider rap and hip-hop music at this point in my life because uh-huh. it still takes somebody that knows what they're doing to create this stuff whether right. the sound is organic or not is another matter right um so at this point um i've gotten to a point where synthesized bass and guitar sounds cool because it does yeah 
but I'm like if I play any of those songs, I'm not gonna play them with all those effects on my guitar. Uh-huh. I'm gonna play them with a raw, overdriven, distorted sound. Right. Um, and get relatively close to um, a sound that makes sense for the song, but I'm not gonna play it that way because I just refuse to. I just no, right. just no. You know? Yeah. Um, it worked for them. It did wonders. For those albums, I mean, for wasted sure. Wasted years. Do you need to wasted years else? is fucking amazing, <laughs> you know. And then like you can you uh, my epic riffs yeah. I did caught somewhere in time with Carlos. Yeah, nice. right. Yeah. You know, it, it it it's not to say that it knocked songs down at all for me. Yeah. It's it's they it, it didn't. It's just it's just not my cup of tea necessarily. That's really what it boils down to. Is would you say that's one of your least favorite Iron Maiden records then? <sighs> I have to comparatively speaking because yeah. I mean Iron Maiden is constantly switching between first and second for me and my top top bands, right? Uh-huh. So I can't say that they have a bad album cuz they don't. Right, right. Right? I could say bad songs. Yeah, right. That does happen. It does. I, I only listen to half of Henjutsu, Senjutsu. Yeah. Cuz the other half I don't really like. Yeah. But like I I Comparatively to the rest of their catalog, it is on the lower end, but it's not to say it's bad. It's just it's yeah. just on the lower end. Yeah. You know? It's going to be like... You remember what I said about me? That was the first album for me. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> so there's that, that emotional connection for me with mm-hmm. that record. That's what I have with Peace, and My, Peace of Mind and, and Power Slave. You know, yeah. those are the two... Those are the two first albums that I yeah. listen to in their entirety. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. So I, I definitely get that, but... It was, it was a very divisive record. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you that. Because a lot of people thought they sold out when they did Somewhere in Time compared to the other records. Was, I don't think people, they sold out. I think people, they were just trying shit. Yeah. You know? But, like, whatever. I mean, to each their fucking own, I guess. Right. Um, people were mad at them, though. And, I mean, I can understand that. I was never going to be mad at them for it. I just can't be like, okay, this is what's happening. Right. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Seven Son of a Seven Son. I still need. I I I've uh, listened to the entire album. I have. Uh, uh, but uh, it's also been about ten years since I listened to the entire album. Right uh, now, I think I have two songs from that album on my playlist. Clairvoyant. That's not even one of them. Uh, I have Moonchild and Seven Son. Um, on my playlist. <laughs> I do. I didn't know uh, I needed to hear that today, but I guess yeah, I did. Yeah, seriously. That was great. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> uh, but again, it's an album I need to sit with again because it's been a really long time. And while I do remember that I enjoyed it, um, I mean, also at the time, I didn't have the playlist. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, it's one of, one of the pinnacle records for me. One of the one of the great moments in my live attendance life of seeing seeing Seven Son of a Seventh Son in its entirety. I think the other part of it is that, like, I love concept albums, you yeah. know, and Seventh Son is a concept album. It's so good. You oh. know, it's so good. It is. So um, good. And then, th- like, the ice stuff they put on the stage with, like, the melting eddies and all the artwork yeah. that they did for it was just off the handle. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned Derek Riggs, which is funny they don't talk about it in Wikipedia. Uh, the guy who invented Eddie, the artist who draws all the all the stuff. 
Oh yeah, I, I used to spend a lot of time as a young person looking for his signature on the album covers because it was always hidden in a funny, funny little place. Oh, I didn't yeah, know cool. that. Yeah, that is super cool. And he did uh, the a couple of the Halloween haunt things. He did some of the posters for. Oh, Not cool, cool, cool. That's cool. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, so Seventh Son of a Seventh Son was released in '88. I forgot to mention that. My fault. Yeah, um, but that yeah. Was, that was, Huge for me, man. <laughs> the album, how do you feel about this? The album incorporated many progressive rock influences and brought four hit singles such as Can I Play With Madness, Infinite Dreams, The Evil That Men Do, and The Clairvoyant, Epic Title Track and Expressive, Moonchild, or Only the Good Die Young, inspired by Alistair Crowley Works. Yeah. That is literally the sentence. That, made, that felt fucking weird, but... <laughs> How do you feel about that whole progressive rock influences thing? Uh, I don't influences at that point. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to go back to like what what would the progressive rock influences be in 1988? So what they were influenced by like ELO and Kansas and Boston and you know like Kansas? Steely Dan oh, like okay. like what do you mean by you know prog influences? I don't, I don't know. I mean it's a it's it's just a wonderful record. That's all. I know every one of those songs so intimately. <laughs> so good. What about so you? Good. Do you have any thoughts about... I mean, you said you haven't listened to the record that much, right? Yeah, no, it's been a while. I, I need to sit with it again. Yeah. Um, from what I can recall, though, I remember sitting through it, and then when it got to the end, I was just like, wait, what the fuck you mean it's over? Yeah. Because, like, I did enjoy it, but yeah. I couldn't give you specifics at this point. You yeah. asked me, like, six, seven years ago, I probably could have, but... Right. I, I just haven't taken the time to stay with it, and that's on me. Yeah. But, yeah. It's one of my favorites. It's, it's in the top top three, I would say, our main records for me. Gotcha. All right. So, during another break in 1989, guitarist Adrian Smith released a solo album with his band ASAP entitled Silver and Gold. Vocalist Bruce, Bruce Dickinson began work on a solo album with former Gillian guitarist Janet Gers releasing Tattooed Millionaire in 1990, followed by a tour. At the same time, to mark the band's 10-year recording anniversary, Iron Maiden released a compilation or, yeah, a compilation collection the first 10 years, a series of 10 CDs and double 12-inch singles. Between February 24th and April 28th of 1990, the individual parts were released one by one, each containing two of Iron Maiden's singles, including the original B-Sides. Uh, the band also released the career-spanning video compilation entitled The First Ten Years, The Videos, in 1992, reissued as From There to Eternity. Uh, the 80s were closed by the group with over 25 million albums sold, of which 10 million were in America, over 5 million videos were sold only in the U.S., which gave Iron Maiden six of 120 gold and platinum certificates received worldwide. That's 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 a lot of information for my brain. <laughs> and that wasn't even the whole paragraph. Oh wow! Yeah, I, ha- I have that first ten years collection. I know you're shocked to hear that <laughs> on CD with the little box. I would have been shocked if you didn't have it. <laughs> it says up the iron six six six. Oh, I can see it. <laughs> oh my god! Of course you can. Uh, okay soon afterwards they regrouped to work on a new album and during pre-production stages adrian left due to differences with steve harris regarding the direction of the band should be taking 
disagreeing with the stripped down style that they were leaning towards. Janet Gers, having worked on Dickinson's solo project, was chosen to replace Smith and became the band's new f- the fir- band's first new member in seven years. Have you heard Tattooed Millionaire? Uh, no, actually, I have not. His his solo stuff started out. Uh, it started out in kind of the "Can I Play with Madness" vein, mm-hmm. and then it progressed and constantly worked its way to sounding like Iron Maiden, <laughs> and got really, really, really strong with good, good, wonderful songwriting and a lot of good players. His solo stuff is worth you exploring if you. Gotcha. don't know his solo career. He's got like five or six records. Gotcha. Okay. I uh, I need to look into that a little more then. Yeah. yeah I did. Um, okay, so the album No Prayer for the Dying was released in October of 1990. No Adrian Smith. No Adrian Smith. Uh, but it did contain hit singles such as Holy Smoke and Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a weird one to me. Like it makes it made sense for the band, but it's still just wasn't what it an interesting with name. Nightmare on Elm Street? Am I remembering that right? I think that might be for that movie. They um, used that song. There was some movie it was associated with. No, no, yeah. So okay, so it says, uh, "Bring your daughter to the slaughter." The band's first and today only UK singles chart number one was originally recorded by Dickinson's solo outfit for the soundtrack to A Nightmare on Elm Street Five: The Dream Child. The song was banned by the BBC and only a 90-second live clip of the Top of the Pops was shown. <laughs> so, it had its controversy. Yeah. Uh, but in 92, that song was uh, re- received a nomination to the Brit Awards in category for Best, best British Single. There we go. Um, Iron Maiden's ninth studio album debated, debated, I'm stupid, debuted at number two in the UK album charts and number 17 on the Billboard 200. Um, and the album signaled the return of Iron Maiden to the roots of their musical style, in particular in its simplicity of composition and raw sound. How do you feel about that? Um, it, it didn't. It, it's not their most original or complex effort that they've ever done. I don't think it, <laughs> it, that and, and the next record were not signaling like great moves forward for the band. It seemed like they were pretty comfortable with how they sounded, and they were mm-hmm. kind of making records that sounded kind of like everything else they'd done before, with nothing yeah. that really stuck out, other than Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter and yeah. Holy Smoke, maybe. But yeah. I, I don't think a lot of it is that memorable to you. I don't think that it's memorable, but like, but but that's also to go in contrast with the whole sit quote signaled the return to Iron Maiden of Iron Maiden to the roots of their musical style like that's not that's not accurate at I don't all think, I don't think that's accurate either. I think yeah. they I think I don't want to say they plateaued because they didn't either they obviously went off after that right 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 but for the time it would seem like a plateau so I wouldn't say they went back down I'd say they they kind of just like you said they stuck out to a sound yeah. that sounded like them right which to be fair is a weird sentence to say when it comes to Iron Maiden because they love experimenting with shit. Right. But but they had the polished sound that they had had from Number of the Beast. Yeah. Seventh Son. That was yeah. Um, and then they had uh, Fear of the Dark which came out in 92. And let me tell you Dave that is a damn good album in my <laughs> opinion. 
Okay. How do you feel about it, though? I mean, this is the end of Dickinson, so I have pretty mixed feelings about it. You know, the same same kind of thing. I feel like it didn't really expand or upon what they had done before, and it made me sad. I felt like the band, you know, I like what comes later much better. The next, the next oh, yeah. Dickinson record, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, adore, yeah. and it really struck. It struck me. No prayer for the dying, fear of the dark. We're kind of like the same. We're just going to maintain the status quo. To me. I, I I can see that. I get you. I think fear of the dark pushed a little bit, not enough to really consider it like, oh, this is a push in another direction. I know. Yeah. Let's let's be real. Right. But I do think it was a better album than No Prayer for the Dying. I, okay. I, Fear the Dark is one of my favorite songs of all time. I do like that song. Like, it's a fantastic fucking song. They did a great job with that. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, the other songs on that album, like, I couldn't, I couldn't fucking tell you too much about them at this point. That's my problem. Um. Because uh, Seventh Son, I know every song backwards and forwards. Right. You know, you know that's, that's yeah. me with a couple of their albums. It's yeah. like, I do know those songs really well. But with with Fear of the Dark, it's one of those albums where like the album itself is good. It's just not memorable. Yeah. And that's why I said it's a damn good album because I think the musically speaking, it did a good job of giving us something cool. Right. But because it was still more generic than cool. Right. Um, and generic is a strong word. <laughs> what? Nothing. Um, I need to tell you something later. Uh. Okay. Yeah. Um. You're smiling, so... No, it, it's kind of a smile, but also um, it's, it's interesting. Okay, well... well. Yeah. Um, yeah, those, those songs could have been better. They had a lot of potential, I think, is really what I'm reaching towards. Is There's potential in those songs, but they just, they just didn't explore it. Right. Yeah. But yeah. All right, so then we get to uh, 93... The year Iron Maiden lost Bruce Dickinson. Oh, oh. do we have to talk about this? <laughs> it's uh, it's a paragraph long, so oh. I'm gonna say yes. Oh. So <laughs> um, sad, so heartbreaking. So he apparently I didn't know this part, but he agreed to remain for a farewell tour and two live albums before he officially left. Real live one or real dead one? <laughs> yep. Uh, Featured songs from 1980 to 1984 and was released uh, after Dickinson had left the band. Tour didn't go very well, um, with Steve claiming that Dickinson would only perform properly for high-profile shows and that at several concerts, he would only mumble into the microphone. Be interesting to see what he says in his book about that. Yeah. Uh, Dickinson denied that he was underperforming, stating that it was impossible to, quote, Make like Mr. Happy Face if the vibe wasn't right, end quote. Uh, and that news of his exit from the band had prevented any chance of a good atmosphere during the tour. I think... I think there's elements of both of those things. I think they're both only partially telling what happened. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, yeah, that's usually the case, but I, I really mean, like... Yeah. Because... Um, Somebody that I know told me about uh, that tour and how there was times because dude went to more than one show. Uh-huh. Uh, there was one show in L.A. I think it was or somewhere around L.A. that Bruce was on fire. 
Right. And then there was another show that was like a little up further north. I think I, I couldn't tell you where exactly, but he was just kind of there. And so I think, I think part of it would be him not feeling it, and part of it is um, just the clashing of like the inevitable of right. I'm out of here. Right. Fuck am I doing? Type yeah. shit. Yeah. I think it's well and and wanting. So again, going back to those last two records, I would say that there was a desire to explore something new and different for him as well. Yeah. Which strikes a lot of artists that we love, that they get tired of doing the same thing over and over again. Yep. And they kind of, whether you want to call it a plateau or a downturn on those two records, yeah. you know, like their new single, the writing was on the wall, right? Like, it's, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And then what happened next was unbelievable. <laughs> Blaze Bailey. Yeah. Uh, the X Factor and Virtual Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole ass fucking thing. Um, they took three years off from from dropping any albums, but then in '95, um, they like came back to recording, and the studio album, uh, the X Factor, was released. Oh yeah, yeah, in '95. Yeah. Right. Have you yeah. listened to those? <laughs> no. Like, he, he's not even on key. I don't understand how Steve Harris hired him. I've never understood those records at all. They <laughs> love to play the Klansman, and I would love to hear, like... Yo, Bruce doing the Klansman is so fucking good. Right. Like, like there's a couple of songs that have kind of remained from that era. <clears throat> and one of the coolest things about Anthrax was, was the greater of two evils when they did... Oh, yeah, yeah. When they did, you know, uh, Belladonna songs with John Bush singing. Maybe yeah, you should yeah. do something like that with those records because you yeah. can't you can't tell how good or bad those songs are because i mean for me i it's hard to listen to blaze bailey sing off key yeah seriously i, I it's, <laughs> it's it's huh. um i heard so many bad things about those two albums that i uh and their career plummeted i mean you don't even yeah, have to read it, it. Like the they're, lowest they're, fucking chart position since 81 so in, in 14 years and then in 88 they released or sorry 98 they released Virtual Eleven, and like that was the lowest to date after. Um, so Iron Man's career tanks continuously, yeah. while Dickinson's career constantly rises. Yeah. And the thing that I think happened is they ended up at the same spot. They started playing the same venues, where Iron Maiden was playing such small venues, and Dickinson was at the height of his solo career. They're like, why don't we just get back together and do this? Yeah, and so that's that's. <laughs> Uh, that's what the next part is. Like the last part of the of the previous section, Bailey's tenure in Iron Maiden ended in January of '99 when he was asked to leave during a band meeting. The dismissal place took place due to issues Bailey had experienced with his voice during the Virtual Eleven World Tour. Although Janik stated that this was partly the band's fault for forcing him to perform songs pitched outside of the natural range of his voice. Okay. That's a nice cover up to say he couldn't sing for shit. Right, and I mean, come on, who can sing like Dickinson? I know, and not a fucking soul. Yeah, right, like, who are you going to get to replace him or do what he does? Yeah. The guy in Halloween, maybe, like Jeff Tate, maybe, but, like, there's very few people on that list. Yeah. Uh, So while the group was considering a replacement for Bailey, Rod Smallwood convinced Steve to invite Bruce back into the band, and although Harris admitted that he wasn't really into it at first, he then thought, quote, well, if the change happens, who should we get? The thing is, we know Bruce and we know what he's capable of. And you think, 
well, better the devil you know. I mean, we got on well professionally for like 11 years, and so after I thought about it, I didn't really have a problem with it. End quote. Um, that sounds like Steve. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so then Dixon was back into the band, and then... So uh, that was a, I saw that reunion tour. Oh yeah? LA. It was unbelievable. I bet. They seemed so excited to be back together again. I bet, man. Like it was, it was amazing. It was a really, really good show. Um, so yeah, so Dickinson was back in, and then Adrian Smith was also back in. Right. Um, literally a few hours later. <laughs> and that's when they have. Now we have three guitar players. Yes. In the band, you know. Uh, and I was roughly right. Twenty plus years. Yeah. Of. Yeah. So it's literally like just under half of the career. When they first came out, they didn't know what to do with having I three people. Fucking Yana like, Gers was just like caressing his guitar. Right, that's how you say his name. I forgot. Weird ways, and I'm like, I don't know why. <laughs> Some of the shit he does. I'm, I'm like, just like, what are you doing? You know? dude's, dude's so old, shoving his leg up on top of a fucking amp. I'm like, right. how? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean like, you know, like my little amp, like just like kind of lifting your no, leg. And yeah, yeah. No, it's no like, I know. Like, like a big, like, full yeah. On, yeah. Like and a I'm me-sized just, amp. Yes. Yeah. And I'm just like, bro, you're insane. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, this is when they had uh, the three guitar lineup, apparently called the Three Amigos. What? That has to be fake. There's no way. Is that for real? I never heard that. That neither. <laughs> um, and they embarked on a hugely successful reunion tour. Yeah. Dubbed. The Ed Hunter Tour, it tied in with the band's new release greatest hits collection, Ed Hunter, whose track listing was decided by a poll on the group's website yeah. and also contained a computer game of the same name starring the band's mascot. That's cool. Um, so then we have Brave, uh, new world. Brave New World, which came out. Great record. When, oh, when did that come Love that record. So good. Hold so up. Good. When the fuck did that? Oh, 2000. It was oh, 2000. Hey, I might be alive. You, you were. <laughs> I was alive at this point. It's <laughs> <laughs> always funny. Uh, they toured for that shit, and then Dance of Death and A Matter of Life and Death uh, were the next two albums. So, uh, June of 2003, they released the double DVD promo videos uh, compilation entitled Visions of the Beast. And then following the Give Me Ed Till I'm Dead tour, <laughs> they released Dance of Death, their 13th studio album. This is 2003, um, which... Wow, can you believe this? We're, like, not even close to now. I know. I'm trying to rush through this shit. We have, yeah. like, 10 minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to rush through the rest of this. I'm so sorry. Iron Maiden deserves better. <laughs> but they had that album in 03, and then uh, they toured for that. Then they had um, the Eddie Rips of the World Tour in 2005. Um... European shows, Ozfest with Sabbath. Uh, end of 2005, they started working on A Matter of Life and Death, and the album was released in autumn of 2006. I, I understand that autumn is the right word, but it still feels wrong to say it for some reason. You want to say fall? I do want to say fall. <laughs> uh, they toured for that, um, and then they played like Download festival which i just i don't know how i feel about download man that's a whole damn thing uh but anyway uh somewhere back in time world tour and then iron maiden flight 666 
So on September 5th of 07, the band announced Somewhere Back in Time World Tour, which tied in with the DVD release of Live After De- of their Live After Death route, uh, album. Oh God, I couldn't say that. Um, they had some success from the 80s with a specific emphasis on the Power Slave era for set design. I guess? I didn't even realize that. Yeah, they had Power Slave set design on a, on a tour that was more heavily... They yeah, okay. Doing, no, that works. They started doing that. Yeah. And then they just, this new one, they just gave in and were just doing Legacy of the Beast, like whatever they They've been doing Legacy of the Beast for like six years, my guy. I know, but I'm saying, like, they went through all these records first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then they did that. Uh, they had a couple songs um, that were like their super popular ones that, of course, they were playing because why the fuck not? Uh, and then the tour went on for a fucking while, bro. The last part of the tour was March of 2009. Yeah. Um, with the band once again using Ed Force One. Well, he's flying the plane at this point. That's, yep. That's Dickinson flying. Yep. Because he's a fucking pilot. Oh, yeah. did you not know that? Did no. I? Oh. Why would I know that? Because I thought I mentioned it before. No. No. I. Uh, no, I don't mean like during the episode. I mean like at all. Like I. I thought I. My bad. Because I mentioned it a lot. But he's a pilot. He's a doctor of. What part of music? No, I don't know that. Oh. Yeah. He has a doctorate? He has a doctorate. He has a doctorate. He's a, he's a history guy. He's a huge history buff. He's a history buff. Yeah. He is a professional fencer. Yeah. How does he have time for this? <laughs> Fuck if I know. He's just a singer. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me actually see. What else is he going to do this time? All this stuff, I'm sure, is in that book. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Uh, let me see if I can find what, it, what, it, what else it says he is. Um... You're gonna die, die with your boots on. <laughs> <laughs> die with your boots on if you're gonna just Ah, I fucked up. Um, Dixon married so and so. They divorced and so and so. Second wife. Uh, they had a couple kids. Uh, that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, apparently they separated a few years ago and she died. Um, last <laughs> or two years ago, I. I did not know that, and I feel really shitty about that. Uh, um, cancer, mouth cancer. Yeah. Wait, what? Get cancer. Mm-hmm. Need to talk about that. Wait. Oh, that he had cancer. I thought you. I I thought you were talking about her. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, it says right here she died in an accident at her home. I was like, I was so. I was like, she did too. Like, uh, no, no, of course he had cancer. We know that. Um. His son was the lead singer in a metalcore band. Um, this is all like his personalized stuff, and I'm trying to find the part education. where, yeah, his education and all that. Okay, he was a, oh he was presented with an honorary music doctorate from his alma mater, Queen Mary University of London, in honor of his contribution contributions sorry to the music industry. Is that um, how I should have done it instead of spending my last five years? <laughs> <laughs> In 2019, uh, he was made an honorary citizen of Sarajevo. Sarajevo? Sarajevo. Sarajevo. I was right the first time. Uh, and received the city's prestigious 6th sixth, sixth April Award for his efforts in performing under siege in 1994. According to the city's mayor, it was his arrival in Sarajevo that was one of the moments that made us realize that we will survive, that the city of Sarajevo will survive. That Bosnia and Herze- Herze- Herzegovina. 
Herzegovina. Uh, Govina. What the fuck? We'll survive. I can't say that. Um, he was also presented, presented with an honorary doctorate from the Faculty of Philosophy by the University of Helsinki. Um, and he was an honorary group captain of 601 uh, country, oh, sorry, County of London Squadron RAF. So he's got four honorary doctorates. Or sorry, three honorary doctorates and the honorary... I'm fucking stupid. He's got a lot of honorary shit, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yes, he's a... Uh, he's he learned to fly, so he's a professional pilot. He fl- he regularly flies flew, sorry, Boeing 757s. Damn. Okay. That's what that's <laughs> yeah. what Flight 66 that, is about. It's yeah. about him flying um, around the world. Yep. So he also went into tours where yeah. he jumps from country to country. He also went into entrepreneurship, um, <laughs> an aircraft maintenance business. This is crazy. I didn't know about that. Oh, you didn't know about that? Not no. the business, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it expanded to have 60 to 70 employees. That's insane, bro. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's really recent. <laughs> yeah. He's flown high-profile flights, um, you know, coming out of the Royal Air Force. Uh, fucking... World War II planes, too. He did that. Yeah, World War II planes. Um... He has Bruce Dickinson's Friday Rock Show on BBC. Or, well, he had it, sorry. From 2002 to 2010. So he's a radio host. Um, fucking, he's a writer. <laughs> he's a he's a brewmaster. The trooper. He, the trooper. I forgot that was him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's got a lot of shit going on. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. And didn't even talk about the fencing shit. No. But he's a fencer. He's yeah, a professional right. fencer. Yeah. And they love playing soccer, too. Yeah, they have the fucking Iron Maiden has a soccer team. Yeah. Like, officially. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I feel like a lot of celebrities have soccer teams now. <laughs> yeah, but those are actually good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm at a crossroads. Because um, we got to pack up, but I'm not nowhere near done. So, Iron Maiden Part 2 next week. Fine with me. Is it fine with you? Fine with me. All right. You heard it here, guys. We're going to do Iron Maiden Part 2 next week. Um, <laughs> I'm going to quickly breeze through the plugs. Follow us on Instagram at Official Pedal to Metal, all when we're in no caps. You can find the link tree that'll have all the other things our website, our merch, our show archives, our YouTube channel. So go check out all that stuff. You can follow me personally, Alan Music Perez, or my band's Instagram, um, at Render Me Insane, or my photography Instagram, um, at Nature's underscore Beauty underscore AP. Um, and I have link trees to other stuff in there as well. So go check that out, please and thank you. Um, you can find me on Instagram at underscore Lila Goddess. That's all I got, but it's still better than Izzy. So, Dave? <laughs> I don't have much either, at Isaac's Guitar. But, and you can look up Shenzone to Swell, my, my group as well. <laughs> uh, oh, web pages and all over social media and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we will continue Iron Maiden next week. I did not realize how much history I was going to have to go through today. (laughs) Um, So thank you for hanging out with us. We love you and we'll catch you guys next week. Peace out.